0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: This is 10 News First Person I'm Narelda Jacobs It's the start of the new millennium and Steve Williams cuts an imposing figure on the streets of Adelaide The boss of the notorious Gypsy Jokers Biker Gang is seemingly untouchable yet always in the public eye achieving almost celebrity status, until one day he vanishes without a trace. Fifteen years later, William's daughter Blaze is no closer to knowing what really happened to her much-loved father. And wherever they took him, I just hope it was quick and he didn't know it was coming. But now she has a theory and she takes 10 News First reporter Hannah Ford back to the place where it happened.
2: Now Blaze, we're walking closer to the hotel. Is
0: this the closest you've been to this place? Yeah, I haven't um yeah, well I haven't walked through here at all. And I like you know, I try to I try to basically live my life pretending it's not happening and then you know when I do things that you know remind me that it's real and you know, I I, I like to think I'm pretty normal and then, you know, I have this this background that, you know, it doesn't bother me, it shaped me into what I've become now but it's hard like it was best to me and I miss him and he's missed so much and you know he would have even loved the upgrade of the pub like that's the other thing that goes through my head being here and having anything to do with it is all the awful ways that you can be disposed of and it's awful to think that someone's taken someone you love more than anything thrown away like trash
2: It's a warm winter's day and Blaise Williams is standing in front of a suburban pub in Adelaide's northern suburbs. With her long platinum blonde hair styled and her makeup perfect, she could easily be meeting someone for lunch. It's the kind of place that specialises in quick counter meals and a pulled pale ale. On the side of a busy highway, it's a local for some, but for others it's the quick stop on the road out of town and to blaze it's the last place her father was seen alive. This is the first time
0: she's been here in 15 years. I spent so long, you know, being worried of it and I kind of wanted a reason to make myself do it and push through something and I guess, like what a better reason than such a big anniversary. And I always kind of set myself at 15 years, if we didn't have everything, that I would try and push myself that little bit further. And like, I sort of start trying to overcome things. But like, when I look down there, that's where the trees and that used to be and his car was parked there. And like, that's really hard to see. And that's one thing I was really excited to do like, as I grew up was have a drink with him and everything like that. And you know, I won't ever get to do that now and he was a party animal and so I'm hoping that you know he had got to have a little bit of enjoyment before and I mean we had just spent the weekend together as well so I know we had a good time everything leading up to it was good so I just hope that the final part was not as horrible as a lot of the thoughts I've had over the years. I've even gone through phases where I haven't been able to watch uh, certain horror movies or murder docos because if I see that um, I went through a phase where if someone, you know, gets beaten to death on TV, because I thought that was the thing that happened, I couldn't watch it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird roller coaster. I still even have memories with my dad here, like um, we've had a couple of dinners here and stuff, and you know, it was a meeting place a lot of the time for us. So, yeah, and it's just that photo of his car parked in those trees. have always it's just been cemented in my mind.
2: His car left abandoned in the car park is the only clue to her dad's disappearance, which happened when she was just 13 years old.
0: You know, it looks different, but it still feels very the same to me and very raw. Like, yeah, I... You know, I thought I'd be um, going there before... ..with, like, I thought we'd have our answers and then be going there with a final, you know, finish, but... I've got to try and finish it myself, I guess. Yeah, so it's pretty, it's pretty emotional for me, like, I, yeah. So you've never ever gone to this pub, you've never
2: been able to bring yourself to actually walk inside or no. look at it like this?
0: No, sorry. No, um, we've had like a lot of like um, events and stuff that people have tried to get me to go here and yeah, I've never been able to go, Even even since it's been, like, upgraded, I still just can't bring myself to be there. Like, it's weird and, like, yeah, I, I, it's, it's different, but in my head, I still see the same picture. It's exactly the same look to me. And I th- it's like every memory at once comes back to me. And, like, well, and then of course, obviously, it brings back the rawness of, you know, it's a, it's a murder. Someone's done it. So there's someone out there now that, you know, they know where his remains are. and They let me go through this and go through life feeling these things and it's not fair. Like, it's really not fair. Steve Williams was a big
2: burly man and at one time the powerful president of the Gypsy Jokers. At the time of his disappearance, he was working as a debt collector. He wore a slick ponytail, had piercing blue eyes and was almost always dressed in his trademark leathers, standing over six feet tall. Distinct in looks and notoriety. In the early 2000s, bikey gangs were running rampant through Adelaide's streets at war with each other. These were terrifying and violent times. This was before Premier Mike Rand's state government declared a war of its own.
0: The first phase of new bikeys laws legislation has finally made it to Parliament. Key measures include allowing the Attorney-General to classify bikey gangs as outlaw organisations.
2: Premier Rand said...
0: We're allowing similar legislation to that that applies to terrorists because these people are terrorists within
1: our community.
2: But Steve Williams was a different kind of bikey. The son of a nurse and a teacher, his siblings a lawyer and a firefighter. This bikey boss seemed approachable. He was certainly media-friendly, often appearing on our TV screens.
1: A lot of people uh, in the street and where we're going, a lot more people have been saying g'day, good on yous. And, uh, well, stick it up, reinvest your can. he's got it coming.
2: He made himself the celebrity spokesman for the gangs to improve the club's public image and counter the government's anti-bikie campaign even attending meetings and negotiations within Parliament House.
1: I'm very happy with the way things went today and uh, hopefully we can get things tabled soon.
2: And he began opening up the secretive world of the gangs for all to see.
1: Rather an offer of bounty, uh, we'd, go, we'd go out, e- each club knows its own area and who the young groups are and things like that. I'd say if there is a young group operating like this, which there seems to be, um, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be sought after.
0: He always like trying to include me in what he sort of could for his media things. And he knew I'd get a bit of a kick out of it. I never knew that it'd be... That was basically the beginning of non-stop media for the rest of my life, really. And now I think back, I go, wow, I was 13 and I was on nearly every station and paper. and Like, I would go to the shops and people would say, like, how are you feeling? So even if you're feeling OK, then someone's hit you with that and then you do start thinking about it again. And, yeah, just, it's been a bit odd.
2: <laughs> Blaze was regularly seen on the front page, a giggling girl in her dad's strong arms. They shared the same piercing blue eyes.
0: He was everything to me. He was, you know, my confidence and my strength, like... Um, You know, I ever had a problem, I knew that my dad would protect me from that or keep me safe. And then, so when he went, um, you know, I didn't feel like that. I felt like all that was gone. But um, a lot of the guys from the club. They, you know, really stepped up and made an effort to be that bit closer to make us feel stronger. And, you know, so as long as, you know, everyone says they're big, rough, tough bikies, which they are, but (laughs) they really kept, like, me going through it all. And even their sense of how you know, tough and strong they are with things that made me want to be like that as well.
2: It's plain to see that Blaise Williams thought the world of her dad and her childhood memories are happy ones.
0: My whole childhood with him was great, you know, he was always silly, trying to be like run amok as much as he could with me and that's why I wish he was around I was a bit older and I could have probably tried to get him on one of the horses. (laughs) We have always been big swimmers. So when I was younger, my whole childhood, every summer, he would take me to like the pool shop and get me every blow up toy imaginable that you could get for the pool. And then we'd spend the whole summer just playing in there with everything. He was always silly. He was always, you know, like, throw you across the swimming pool and things like that. We used to play heaps of golf. Um, where we lived, there was a golf course behind us. And so, cause he had such a bad leg, he'd take me around the, like the 18 hole course. But then when he couldn't walk anymore, He'd just buy me buckets of balls at the driving range and just let me sit there until I warm myself out. <laughs> you know, we always did heaps of things, like in catching yabbies in creeks, and every time I was with him, we always tried to do something, and I'd make him watch me play PlayStation for hours, and he'd always do it without whinging. And <laughs> and I was real picky when I was younger too, so he used to always complain about, like when we'd go out to dinner, I'd just want pasta with nothing else on it. And he'd always go, I'm taking you to these fancy restaurants. And like, Why don't you have something a bit better? <laughs> And he always taught me to, you know, when you meet people, try and learn why they are the way they are, and more reasons behind it. Like, basically don't judge a book by its cover. Try and learn a bit more about them. Yeah, he was a big softie. He never really yelled at me or anything. And he was always, like, gentle with me. And I can remember feeding, like, birds down by the river one time, and they will come and eating out of his hands. And, like, he just stayed there for as long as it took for them to, like, trust him enough to come up to him and everything. So yeah, to me, he was really soft. I didn't know too much of the other side. I just knew him as my dad.
2: He always pushed her to do her best. And at home, she has one room where all four walls are covered floor to ceiling with all the colorful ribbons she has won
0: in horse riding competitions over the years. He'd come to all my horse shows, um, he had a bad leg so he couldn't always walk properly and he'd still get up at like 5, 6 in the morning and come out and watch me at the shows. That was one of the hardest things was he went missing just before I really kicked off with my horse riding. So everything sort of happened. I remember giving him one of my trophies, like the first trophies that I won on my home horse. Yeah, and then I can still remember packing that up. Um, yeah, when well, we had to. <laughs> when I was younger, I never would let anyone, like I, I still keep all my trophies and ribbons now. And... I never would give him any, like here and there I'd give him one that he could have and I'd started saying to myself, you know, oh, you got to let him have a few more to show off. like Because every time someone would come over, he'd go, look, my daughter's just won this or that and um, that's why I had started making an effort to give him that trophy and some more ribbons and then everything went really south, <laughs> obviously, and then from then on in I've, I've won more than I could ever count and I've never got a chance to actually give him You know, one of those awards that have taken me years and years to win.
1: Looking for your next favorite podcast? Why don't you head over to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully? I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat.
0: Williams vanished in 2005. One theory is that he was murdered by members of his own gang for drawing too much attention to the club.
2: Blaze, it's been 15 years. Can you believe it's been that long?
0: It is kind of weird that it's been going on for so long. I kind of thought that we would eventually have answers by now. And even though I guess we have some, I kind of thought we would have remains and a final resting place and closure and that kind of aspect. but. As I get older I start to realise that we probably really will never have that and that's something that I have to come to terms with. I still remember the day vividly. Um, I didn't actually get told for about a week after we first went missing. I actually wanted to go to a blue light school disco and mum was watching a movie with me and she never watches horror movies and we are watching Saw. <laughs> so I thought it was weird but didn't think much of it and then she got a phone call at one stage and um, she just started crying and You know when you kind of just know something's not right, because all week I hadn't been able to contact Dad. Everyone had said, oh, just keep calling him. You know, he's probably out partying or running a mark, lost his phone, like, you'll get a hold of him. And then, yeah, once it got to the Friday and it was on the news first, Mum couldn't keep it from me anymore because she said she didn't want someone else telling me. And yeah, I just fell to the ground and started crying and, you know, sort of screaming.
2: Images of his abandoned car at the Jep's Cross Hotel, a white Ford left covered in forensic signs, are forever burned in Blaze's memory. The car was clean, there was no blood, and no sign of a fight or struggle. I asked Blaze what she thought had happened at the pub
0: that day. I know that you know he he would have never have left without a fight, so it definitely would have been like he, he was someone he knew obviously because otherwise there would have been a mess around the car and the car was just left still and you know just left there for days and it was just outside the cameras and just always just outside of everything from the bits that i gather they were here i'm not sure whether they had a drink and stuff like i like to think you know that happened um and then he was you know taken from here and to another place and once i found out that you know, once I sort of had a place where, that's more than likely where it happened, that's where I started to shift a little bit of feelings from here. But it's hard to, like, I don't, I don't really want to acknowledge that other place. Like, I don't, I don't want to.
2: Police believe that place was a trucking yard, seven kilometres away at Gilman. Back then it was owned by another gang, the Finks. Police did search that yard, but found nothing. And from there, the trail goes cold.
0: And it's hard to see it in the way and know that like, you know, if this had happened even five years later, there probably would have been enough CCTV to have more answers. I hope, I just hope it was quick. My biggest fear is that, you know, he was tortured or something.
2: Adelaide is known for its sinister cold cases, but the disappearance of Steve Williams is among the most talked about. He was thought to be untouchable and he thought he was untouchable too. The regular bikey runs were infamous and always made the news.
1: Although there's been tension between police and the Gypsy Jokers in the past, neither group is
2: expecting any trouble. Never one to miss an opportunity to respond publicly, Williams replied.
1: We understand that if we step over the line, it's going to be dealt with appropriately and vice versa. With the current issues going on, uh, I think everything will level off nicely and there will be a trouble-free run.
2: There have been many searches for his remains over the years, but nothing has ever been found. That hasn't stopped people contacting Blaze to tell her what they think happened.
0: You never knew what to believe. And to me, even the situation that I'm in is far-fetched and I have to keep giving myself a cheque check every now and then saying like this... Is your life, your dad was murdered and it's not just a normal situation. I have people still now message me every few months on Facebook and stuff and they don't just message me and say I've heard something, they give you a big extravagant story. And so I've heard lots of stories, you know, around the place and then as I've gotten older, I now I can actually siphon out a bit of what would be a far-fetched story over, you know, the ones I like, Every, yeah, literally every few months, someone will message me with something about it, and normally in a really graphic way. Which I never still want. I never want people to stop doing that, because you know one day there might be some truth in it. But you know, maybe a bit of a softer approach sometimes might be a bit better. <laughs> Blaze
2: is regularly stopped by strangers who have their own theories to share. Some of them said,
0: Oh, he was put through a wood chipper. He was chopped up and fed to pigs. Yeah, someone said he was with a chainsaw. Um, he's in a septic tank out at uh, Port Wakefield. Um, yeah, like it's... It, and they write it exactly like that too. And some of them will even sound believable enough where they'll get you to call them or something. So I, I, I don't go talking to every random, but every now and then something might sound a little bit le- legit, but then they've literally used it as an excuse just to start a conversation, and then they'll just go on and around in an even more far-fetched light the amount of people that have tried to say that they've they actually seen him get killed is unbelievable, and that has been happening most of my life. Like I would go when I got older and I could go to town, I would still have people in my big in the toilets, and someone would go, "Oh, I heard something about your dad," so you're out having a fun night, and yeah, and then it generally leads to some kind of crazy story and. Like, there's no nice way to overhear. Like, and they don't realise they say those things. Like, then I start picturing my dad going through a wood chipper or I start picturing all that or... But even, you know, even the thought of him in the ground. And, yeah, it's pretty pretty full on at times. As for motive, there has been a great deal of
2: speculation that he knew too much about some powerful people, including that he kept a dossier on some questionable activities around town by local politicians and that he was planning to write a tell-all book. But he had left the gang life and it's believed he was trying to go straight for his daughter.
0: We used to sit down. I was only young with him. He would sit down all the time and talk about how he wanted to... Like, try and do better here, or you know, live a bit more of a normal life, and yeah, and then he's gone, and now I'm here and trying to do the same, I guess. (laughs) It's
2: only as an adult, Blaze has had the strength to sit down with detectives herself to talk through the case. But if she were to find out too much from any source, the risk to her life would become real.
0: I basically got told most of the story of from when he left Jep's to where he went to where it happened and um, pretty well have been given like a set name and things and which scares me as well because you know those people are still out there but and, you, and it's so close to go oh, you know my answers are right there but then how far do you dig and risk rustling something up and then like now I have that fear of you know do I really want to keep digging into it in case they want to backfire on me or my mum again, like, you know? Yeah, and then I also found out that we had a couple of close calls where we could have been in more of a direction where we knew where the body and the remains were, but people were scared to talk, and, yeah, now that evidence will probably be gone forever.
2: But after years of sorting through the sorted stories, she now reveals she has a theory of her own.
0: I definitely think it had something to do with the person that took him from here uh, 100% without a doubt in my mind and um, I think it's definitely a deal gone wrong or he was a debt collector and you know he could have gone to collect something and it's gone wrong and that's more of the way I feel it goes and the way more things are leaning towards it had nothing to do with the book, the book was more on him, it wasn't exposing big secrets and this and that, that it's been a big spill to be. Um, he did have info, you know information and leads, I guess, on corrupt politicians and things, but I still don't think it was anything with that. It just was more, you know, I think it's just something that's gone wrong and a bit of a setup. definitely. Like, you can't, you can't leave with someone from here that you know and it not be a set up. And wherever they took him, I just hope it was quick and he didn't know it was coming because even that betrayal would have killed him. It messes you up, like it does. You know, if someone takes a family member's life, no matter who they are, what they've done to you, everyone around them, it hurts them and changes their life. I just tried my hardest not to let it ruin mine.
2: Growing up in the shadow of her bikey dad has undeniably made Blaze strong, but you won't find her riding around on a motorbike She is now a truckie.
0: So I randomly got in through a friend, um, my friend Cindy, who actually used to teach me horse riding. She had a job washing the trucks and she said, oh, you know, why don't you come give it a go with me? It's pretty good fun. It was pretty cool. Like, I got to drive them around the yard. I was absolutely terrible at first at driving them, but, you know, I got used to it. And then eventually got my licence from there. And, yeah, I sort of haven't
2: looked back. She's made a name for herself on the roads as one of a new wave of women who are making truck driving their career. Currently, only about 3% of truck drivers in Australia are female, something Blaze is confident will change in the not-too-distant future.
0: I'm a bit of an advocate for getting women into the industry and showing that you can be girly as well as a bit rougher. and. <laughs> And they're slowly getting more and more of us in there as well. So, you know, obviously you've got to have a little bit of a thicker skin because the guys, they will give you a bit of a hard time, like just like they do to each other. It's no different to how they like rough hours and teach, like they'll be a bit more careful with the women because, you know, they're obviously a bit scared of us. <laughs> but, yeah, no, they've, it's been really good. And um, i found everyone to be great and I encourage more women to do it. I think, like, there's, there's a bit of a stigma and a fear put into it that, you know, you can't do it because they're so big or they're this or that, but it's like anything else. Once you adjust to it and you keep doing it... Like, my first day, I nearly cried. I just held the steering wheel and I was like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever done in my life. <laughs> and then now, like, now I drive like it's I'm more comfortable in that than
2: a car. It's only now that she feels she is finally ready to start
0: moving forward with her life. It's 15 years ago now, and the little hopes that we did have are basically out the window, what I feel, unless there is someone that's seen anything else and, you know, feels like putting, helping us put an end to it. It's never going to end. I mean, my life's always different for it. But I made a promise to myself a few years ago to start trying to look at the more positive outtakes from all of it rather than the downside. And so the first time I was ever asked to do an article, I could have said no, but I thought, you know what, I will. And then it starts giving me a bit more of a name than... You know, you just blaze Steve's daughter now, oh, you're blazed, the truck driver.
2: (laughs) And finally able to think that even without a body, she can do something more formal to remember her dad.
0: I'd I'd love to have a memorial, but I keep every year I kind of go, oh, you know, maybe I'll do it now and we can have somewhere to go. But I just keep not being able to bring myself to do it without anything to put in there. It's kind of weird, my family have asked me a couple of times, and I feel that, you know, they sort of want it and need it, but, um, so I feel bad that I kind of, I guess I'm holding it up too, but yeah, I don't know, I just haven't been able to do it, but now I had a few more answers along the way, I've started to feel a bit more, I guess, you know, at peace with it, and like I could maybe, you know, I never used to be able to go to funerals or anything, because... You know, it used to devastate me. I'd lost a lot of people even after Dad, but in a way I was envious that they were getting a funeral, so I just couldn't be there. And Then as I got older, I managed to start being able to go to those, and and I thought, you know, maybe that's a stepping towards being able to actually do our own. Maybe when we get to 20 years, which I shouldn't even laugh, but I I just know that these, you know, I never thought I was going to get to 10 and 15, and here we are. and I was only thinking about the other day, I was like, I'm 28 now, and I think, wow, 13 is so young. Whereas back then, I felt like I was completely fine dealing with it all.
2: <laughs> She's covered in tattoos, several of which are dedicated to her father. When or if he is found, she'll add his dates of birth, death and the date she can finally lay him
0: to rest. I just, I just hope that, you know, maybe him and whoever he was with you know, maybe they, hopefully they at least went in for a drink or something and, you know, maybe he had something a bit nicer before the end. It's all I think. I just wanted him to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he tried so hard to make a better life for himself and he wanted to do better. He wanted to, you know, live more of a normal life, I guess. And he never got to do that. And he never will now. Like, he used to say to me all the time, I was everything. And it breaks my heart that, you know, I've... I've tried to achieve so much and make him proud and he's never really gonna you know know about it I can't even you know I can't even go to a grave and take things and show him there's just nothing
1: reporter Hannah Ford with that story This episode was produced and edited by Ali Aitken. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. I'm Narelda Jacobs. We'll see you next time.
0: What do Tom Jones, Borat, and Eddie Munster all have in common? You can hear them all on the Starstruck with Angela Bishop podcast. I'll give you all the -the behind-the-scenes goss on what went on with some of my most fascinating interviews over the years. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.